Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we will be going over the first six chapters of Northanger Abbey. <gasps> yes, our first book. Super exciting. <laughs> um, how, did you like it? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Actually, it was really different than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be like super dry and like (laughs) (laughs) for you know lack of better terms very old timey like english yeah (laughs) style you know what i mean but um it was really easy to read and i like was never bored with it (laughs) so i really had fun with it awesome yeah it's really it's fast-paced you know it's not Mm -hmm. a very long book at all Um, no yeah and we actually have a guest for this podcast (laughs) although she is not with us um she recorded a special message um, for us, my cousin, Kristen Smith. <laughs> and so we'll probably put in her introduction somewhere around here. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know it when it comes up. And um, then we'll put her uh, recap at the end after we do our recap. But um, we're very excited to have her. Hopefully yes. by the time we get to the end, we'll figure it out how to actually have a conversation with her. (laughs) That would be great. Even though she lives across the country. Um, Yeah. So we're very excited to have her joining us. Yes. Hi, my name is Kristen Smith. I'm Maya's cousin. I'm going to be reading Northanger Abbey along with Maya and Christian. And so I thought I'd give just a little bit of background of sort of my experience with Jane Austen and with Northanger Abbey in particular. And then just a couple things that stood out to me on reading through this time. I have liked Jane Austen for a really long time. She's one of my favorite authors. I think, I think I tried to read Pride and Prejudice, but I didn't realize it was supposed to be funny, like in high school. And so I sort of set it aside. And the first of her books that I really came to love was um, Sense and Sensibility because I, I really identified with Eleanor, who's kind of quiet and low-key, and she has a younger sister, and I have a younger sister. And so I just really identified with that. And then as the movies in the 90s came along, uh, let's see, there was Sense and Sensibility in 93 and then Pride and Prejudice in 95. I really liked those and so that helped get me back into trying the rest of Jane Austen and so I've read all of the books at least twice (laughs) and some more than twice. Northanger Abbey was probably my second to last book, finished book from Austen that I had read. So I came to that one second to last and then I read all of them plus all her extra stuff in grad school at the University of Florida because why not? I mean, Jane Austen class, so totally take a Jane Austen class if you can. Um, So I've read all the books multiple times, some more than others. Persuasion is my favorite, um, but I've read Northanger Abbey. um, I think this is my fourth time that I will have gone through it. The things that I like about Jane Austen as a writer, I was thinking about this and I think there's like two things that make me really love her in particular. The first is that she is so funny and it's not like really obvious funniness. Funniness? 
Um, it's kind of underneath the surface. So like in the first chapter of Northanger Abbey here, um, she tells us all these things with a straight face and it's completely absurd things that she's telling us about Catherine um, or assumptions that she pretends to be making that are absurd. And I think that's hilarious. And then the second thing that I really love about her as a writer is how she seems to really understand people and the way that they think and the way that they present themselves. And she has a really good way of creating characters that, you know, you see in real life, or at least you see aspects of them in real life, like, like Lady Catherine in Pride and Prejudice, who says that everything about her life is the best that it could possibly be and she would have been the best at everything and you find people like that in life. I've found people like that in life and so I just I appreciate that. That's an amazing skill, unusual um, and hard to find sometimes in a writer. So I love that about Jane Austen in general and then so Northanger Abbey, like I said this will be my fourth time going through it I think and the first time I really thought Catherine was annoying and Henry was very annoying because he just seemed to have to explain everything to Catherine and not, you know, respect her. It's what it felt like. And I didn't really, I felt like she was setting us up for this fantastic story and then we get, we end up getting something much more realistic, which of course is the point, but I didn't realize that the first time I read it. So, um... <laughs> As I've read it more often, I've found Henry to be funnier, have a lot more sympathy for Catherine and realizing that she's just very young. She's very sweet, but very young. And um, I find the humor in the, the way that Austin sets up these tropes and then like completely undercuts them um, from us. So that's sort of been my experience and where I'm coming from on this reading. So, um, first impressions. Yeah. You want to, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. I, um, when we're first getting introduced to Catherine and like the whole like heroine explanation and how she's different because she's (laughs) a normal person. (laughs) She's not a perfect person. Um, I just, I loved it. Um, it was just so different to read a book like this where like the narrator is like, all right, idiot, listen up. <laughs> this is what this means, and this is how other books are, and I'm not writing a book like this. Yes. Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, the really, I don't want to say over-explanation, but, like, the really detailed explanation of, like, why I'm writing this heroine like oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was just, it almost feels like we're getting, like, uh, like a one-on-one with, like, Austin herself. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have to say, for me, the first time I read it, I'm I'm pretty sure I watched the 80s Northanger Abbey movie thing before I read the book mm-hmm. because <laughs> there were a couple of books that I hadn't read um, when I got the like 1980s box set of all the Jane Austen adaptations. Um, I mean, it wasn't it was a box set with all the 1980s adaptations. It wasn't from the 80s. <laughs> anyway, that's you know, neither here nor there. But <laughs> um, I think that one was maybe the first one I watched because it was only an hour and a half and then I was like oh you know what I should read the books first (laughs) (laughs) 
to the books so, are yeah so i think i started important. with northanger abbey and um yeah i i love the movies a lot um uh-huh. the book i feel like i just don't remember as much i i uh-huh. have read it a f- i don't even know how many times but um yeah reading the first six chapters i was like delighted by how funny it is and how mm-hmm. um how much i just love jane austen when i read it i'm always like oh she gets me in this like weird way where it's like she's making fun of them in a way but you can also tell that she really cares about them yeah so it touches your heart in this like it's so funny, but, you know, heartfelt at the same time. Right. It's, like, not purely spiteful. Yeah. <laughs> She's, like, you know, they're this way, but, you know. This yeah. Is, it's almost change, the same maybe. feeling I get when I watch some um, David Lynch stuff. because, mm-hmm. But that one's more of a, like, tragedy plus heartfelt. But mm-hmm. it's kind of the same feeling as the, like, funny plus heartfelt. Uh-huh. It's just the heartfelt that's that shines through. <laughs> <laughs> heartfelt is number one for Maya. <laughs> yes. It is definitely. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that made any sense. What I just said, <laughs> of course, I loved it. I love all Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> Not first time, second time, sixth time. I'm always going to love it. Was this your favorite, right? No, no. Mansfield Park is my favorite. Mansfield Park. Sorry. But I would say Northanger Abbey, at least in terms of the movies, uh-huh. it is Pretty probably good. the one I will rewatch the most. The oh, okay. newest Northanger Abbey. Yeah. And the old one. I love both of them okay <laughs> yeah i think it's a perfect little story although now reading it and watching the movie i'm like oh you're really turning some stuff around because you can't <laughs> do the narrator i get it okay but um yeah let's move on to some notes yes okay so north air abbey was written Oh, I was totally wrong last week, by oh, the no. way. <laughs> she was not 15 when she wrote it. Oops. <laughs> you only had to wait one week for the correction, though, so it's okay. Um, so it was written um, in the, between the years 19, or 19, 19. 1798 <laughs> and 1799, according to um, a note left by her sister, Cassandra. Or she gleaned that from some notes. I'm not sure. Um, she was 23 or okay. 24 when she wrote it it was her first though i believe she was um probably inspired to write it by her first visit to bath in 1797 okay yeah so she was still young but she wasn't like she wasn't as young as i said she was <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't Catherine's age yeah so the book was originally called susan okay yeah and um she wrote it and then she set it aside until around 1803 and then with the help of her brother henry and his lawyer, William Seymour, she sold the manuscript to Benjamin Crosby and Co. <laughs> for 10 pounds, uh-huh. which is a good amount, yeah. um, with the understanding that it would be published soon. Um, and then six years passed. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, six they um, they had advertised it, but they never published it. That's so after six years with no activity and I think there had been some stuff going on in her personal life which we'll have to get to on another episode but um she wrote a letter to the publisher <laughs> and, um because it wasn't it didn't have her name on it originally you know it was right. just like by a lady 
<laughs> Bye, Elena. Yeah. <laughs> she offered she so in the letter she offered to send them another copy in case they lost it. <laughs> and said if she didn't hear back from them, she would feel free to publish elsewhere. And then she signed it. I am a gentleman, N C N C M A D. Because she had used a, a pseudonym, uh, Mrs. Ashton Dennis, probably specifically, so she could say mad at the end of the letter, <laughs> which is hilarious. Even when she's pissed, she has to I throw some like little hilarious at the comedy same time. in there. <laughs> so uh, she got a response um, saying, no, you can't publish elsewhere. We will sue you if you do. And but they did say if you want to buy it back, you can buy it for the ten pounds we gave you for it in the first place. But at the time, she was super broke and could not right. afford that. Um, As most authors are. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in eighteen sixteen, she had already published *Sense of Sensibility* and *Pride and Prejudice* and made like there was I read something about her sending her brother a letter that said I've made two hundred and fifty pounds from Whoa. these books, which yeah. So she um, got her brother to buy it back, but she never um, mentioned that it was her. Because if they knew it was her, they'd be like, oh, we, we should publish this, you know. Right. <laughs> but so she got her brother to just buy it back. And then um, it was hers again. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Retaining right. Yeah. Um, so after she got it back, she changed the heroine's name to Catherine and did a few other revisions, as well as adding the preface, um, which is like, by the way, this book is like 13 years out of date, so. <laughs> Don't get mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that also had like a dig at the original publisher. Like, mm -hmm. if some publishers had thought to publish it. <laughs> <laughs> the passive aggressiveness is what I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah. The M-A-D mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's about as aggressive as you could get is passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But unfortunately, she died in 1817 no. before she could publish the novel. But she had left all the rights to her published and unpublished novels to her sister. So Henry, her brother, and Cassandra, her sister, negotiated with her good publisher. We'll have to get into that, too, because there's like a couple publishers. But the one who was her most recent one, who she mm -hmm. liked the best, I guess, um, to release that and Persuasion, which she had also already finished okay um as a four volume set and um yeah but and so i've originally had written that her brother renamed it to northanger abbey but uh -huh. then i read that her sister had found in some of her old notes that that's what she was planning on titling it so okay. i guess we'll never really know the truth but i i tend to think they would probably have tried to get it as close to what she wanted right because yeah. cassandra was her closest person to her, her. and i'm pretty sure i read that henry was her favorite brother so <laughs> i'm pretty sure they were trying to do right <laughs> Say, by they wouldn't just do like let's put our own spin on this yeah so um it was in this publication the persuasion northanger abbey that after her death that her brother wrote a bio a biographical notice of the author which revealed for the first time that jane austen was the author of sense and sensibility pride and prejudice mansfield park and emma dun, dun, dun. yeah so I mean, she did have some certain amount of fame because, like, she said, it's, like, the worst-kept secret in the world that I am the author of these books. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but then it was really known to the world at this point. So, at the time when it came out, it had a lot of uh, good, great reviews. I just wrote down a few quotes from them. Mm -hmm. um, 
displays a degree of excellence that has not often been surpassed. Oh. One of the very best of Miss Austen's productions. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have always regarded Austen's work as possessing a higher claim to public estimation than perhaps they have yet attained. They have fallen indeed upon an age whose taste can only be gratified with the highest seasoned food. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And also there was one that Austin has attained the highest perfection of the art of novel writing and will be one of the most popular of English novelists. And it's Can't lie. so true. <laughs> Still super popular to this day. All right. Well, that's it for the notes. When I was writing this recap, I wrote almost as many words for these six chapters as I did for an entire two-hour movie. Oh. <laughs> so hopefully I did. <laughs> but it's just, I think, because there's so much of the language that I'm like, oh, we got to add that like funny line, you know? Oh, so yeah. I had to write a lot more just for that sake. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so the book starts as I mentioned in the notes, with an advertisement from the authoress. <laughs> and she explains that the um, book was finished in 1803. It was advertised, but why it was not published is unknown and seems extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> She's still got that passive aggressive. Yep. She's not like, happy. Last so. laugh, though. It's me. Uh, <laughs> so um, she says, 13 years have made parts of it obsolete. <laughs> And I'm like, you mean 213? Or, <laughs> pretty much all of probably it. Probably pretty close. Um, <laughs> places, manners, books, and opinions have undergone considerable changes. So I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Well, someday when we get to Pride and Prejudice, we'll compare it. Well, I don't even know. Is Pride and Prejudice? I guess we could compare it to like a, a persuasion. That would be an interesting... I think if you were going to do a Jane Austen class, Mm -hmm. like my cousin was talking about, (laughs) then um, I've always thought you should do Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility Uh together. (laughs) (laughs) And then you should do Emma and Mansfield Park together. Okay. And then Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. Okay. As like a comparison, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how people do classes like a Jane Austen (laughs) class, but that's one way to format i would like I to take so. one of them <laughs> so when we the book starts and we um she says no one would have thought Catherine morland to be a heroine <laughs> <laughs> i was basically. like oh we're starting off here <laughs> yeah that's not the exact quote but basically um, what she said. yeah she's like her situation in life her own disposition <laughs> were <laughs> basically against her <laughs> um she says that um, her father was a clergyman. He was not poor and very respectable, though his name was Richard, <laughs> which apparently is like a family end joke. This Richard, even though mean? his name is Richard, I think uh, that's like a family end joke that's just then. added in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had two good livings and wasn't the least addicted to locking up his daughters. <laughs> I, I love that part. I was like, okay, so he's not a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, you guys run free. <laughs> I was like, all right, favorite dad so far. Yeah. Oh, definitely. These parents are definitely the ones I would want. Give me the crap. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, her mother is useful and sensible and has a remarkably good constitution, which allowed her to actually live through the birth of 10 children. <laughs> yeah. I did write that. When I was taking my notes. I wrote down 10 question mark exclamation point. Yeah. I was like, uh-uh, that's yeah. too many. Yeah, apparently a lot of Ugh. Jane's sister-in-laws died in childbirth, so she had like a really, um, you know, not great view of childbirth, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But um, but she's, she's like, yeah, this lady managed to do it ten times, and she's still alive. Lord, <laughs> and she's still getting on. Is that the biggest? Is that the biggest family we've had in all the things? Yeah, I think yeah. second biggest was Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah, seven of them. Uh, they had five daughters. Yeah, and so they have ten children, and they even have boys. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, um, they said they were a fine family because there were arms and legs enough between. <laughs> yes, everyone had arms. Everyone had legs. <laughs> yep, there was plenty of them, so they had to be considered fine. Um, but they were they were plain, plain Jane's, yes. especially Catherine, who was like. Thin and awkward, typical preteen. Yeah, <laughs> just the type that's going to grow up to be a beauty. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, her mind doesn't seem suited to heroism. No, heroin is heroinism. Sure, heroinism. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made up that word. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's a tomboy and preferred cricket to girl things like nursing dormice. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing but in the annotated one that i was reading they have like a little note on the side and it gave like a description about how they used to have them as pets (laughs) i was like okay yep so interesting no canaries or dormice for Catherine. she just wants to be out with the boys playing cricket which actually was reading something in my annotated version about how cricket is like um a sport that girls and boys could play both equally oh really it was like yeah that's awesome Oh, she only gathered flowers for the purpose of mischief. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she could never learn something before she was taught it. And often, not even then. (laughs) (laughs) This description was the funniest part to me. I thought it was so funny. It's like making fun of, um, you know, expectations. Uh And kind of making fun of Catherine, but not really making fun of Catherine. More of making fun of the people who would make fun of Catherine. I don't right. know. There's so many layers. What's well, like when you break it down? I was like, okay, so she's like, what, like nine or ten years old? Like, <laughs> what right. nine or ten year old is not like that? Exactly. Yeah, she reminds me of my um, niece. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um. So yeah, it, it says she's often inattentive, inattentive, and occasionally stupid. <laughs> <laughs> she really wanted to learn music though, because she really liked tinkling on the keys of the old <laughs> spinet. <laughs> And her mother was like, yeah, I want you to learn music. But she took piano lessons for a year and hated it, <laughs> which I could totally sympathize. It's one thing to want to play the piano. It's another to have to learn to play the piano. To sit down and take lessons. And have to practice. Um, yeah, but her mom didn't really insist that her daughters were accomplished. So she allowed her just to leave <laughs> off. <laughs> she allowed her child to be normal. And it was the happiest day of Catherine's life. <laughs> <laughs> this child uh, yeah i took best. piano lessons for like mm, a year or two off and on here and there and just wasn't and yeah my mom was always like yeah you can quit anything you want i don't have to drive you there <laughs> <laughs> um also she liked to doodle <laughs> yeah. so she learned math from her dad french from her mom but she i was always trying to get out of it <laughs> <laughs> which i understand um 
but even though she was clearly not heroin material at 10, she had a good heart and a good temper. So I like the way she's like, she's nothing special, but she's a nice girl, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She's not a piece of garbage. She's not stubborn, and she's kind to the little ones. But she especially loved wildness, and she really liked to roll down the hill. (laughs) (laughs) At that part, I like just pictured just rolling down the hill continuously. Yeah, in Saint Augustine, there's that big hill by the fort. Yeah, everyone love to roll down that hill. (laughs) I was just there yesterday, and people were rolling down. (laughs) (laughs) It's all they want to do. So, um, so at 15, she's improving. She's starting to take an interest in her own appearance, and she's longing for balls. <laughs> it was a puberty hit. Yep, she gets boobs, and she stops being dirty all the time. <laughs> <laughs> her parents start to notice, and they call her almost pretty. <laughs> Which... And she, yeah, <laughs> so she's like, oh, like the most grateful for. She's like, I'm almost pretty. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, she's because they're like, when you've been playing all your life. To be called almost pretty is a huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it says like the oldest kids were like basically latchkey kids because mom was always pregnant or teaching the young ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, they would always be running around and Catherine still loved running around, but she also really loved a good senseless action packed pulpy <laughs> book and not a book of information. No. <laughs> fiction yeah and between the ages of 15 and 17 she read all that she could find because <laughs> she was in training to be a heroine right uh she learned a lot of life lessons from these books <laughs> apparently um yeah my cousin says you'll hear at the end that all of these quotes are wrong which <laughs> we have to assume is intentional so like Catherine just probably learned them all wrong <laughs> because she just heard what she wanted to I hear say, i can imagine her like reading through the books but like not like slowly taking in the information like i want to get this book and like just speed reading yeah <laughs> totally misremembering the yes, quote yes like uh many a flower born to blush unseen a young woman in love always looks like patience on a monument smiling at grief <laughs> i was like what on earth it's like these are uh, these are quotes <laughs> they're definitely quotes for sure <laughs> of something so then she kind of talks about how even though she's not really good at anything, she doesn't have any real accomplishments. She could appreciate other people's com- accomplishments, which made her actually, you know, a good person to have around. <laughs> she could actually listen to music and enjoy it. <laughs> um, but at the age of 17, she hadn't met anyone who struck her fancy or she hadn't been the subject of anyone else's fancy. <laughs> she's like, it's so strange. But um, I guess the only explanation is that no family in the not- neighborhood had adopted a son with an unknown origin. <laughs> there were no lords. <laughs> These very specific criteria for there's why. There's no heroes in training in her neighborhood, so there's no one for a heroine Who is she supposed to, to fall in love with. But they're um, really rich neighbors. I assume the ones that own the living that they have. Probably. Um, the Allens need to go to bath because Mr. Allen has gout. <sighs> Jesus. I've heard so many, I feel like gout is in my zeitgeist right now because I keep hearing about gout, (laughs) talking about gout. I don't know why. So much gout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they want to bring Catherine with them. And Mama and Papa are like super cool with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're like, all right, go. Yep. So chapter two. (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to spend six weeks in Bath. And she starts off the narrator saying, well, let me tell you that even though I listed all her faults in the last chapter, she's actually 
very nice and pretty, and she's really not any stupider than any other 17-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep in mind, compared to other heroines. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, strangely, her mother didn't go into hysterics when she left and didn't caution her against scary men. <laughs> she just said, keep your throat wrapped and keep track of what money you spent. <laughs> That's a woman who has to raise eight children by herself. Like, and it's like, have fun, honey. Get out of this house now. One less. Feel free to get married while you're there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the, there's also this really funny bit that I had to point out about how all girls that age change their names in some way. Really? Because they're talking about her sister, and she's like, Sally or Sarah, because all girls that age oh, have to yeah, change their yeah, name. Oh, yeah, you're right. And I was like, yeah, they really do. Because I remember there was a phase in my life when I was like in middle <laughs> school where all my friends were changing the spellings of their names. <laughs> <laughs> really? They were like changing Y's to I's and adding I's and changing Y's to double E's. I mean, <laughs> out of control. <laughs> but I guess all girls go through that phase at some point i guess still to this day i mean i never changed my name but <laughs> yep and her sister and her didn't promise to write each other every day or cry or anything so <laughs> she says all this is very normal but not the kind of thing a heroine needs <laughs> right her father only gave her 10 guineas which i found out is like the equivalent of one pound and one shilling so 10 guineas is like 10.50 like um i in my book it, it was like a, a, a guinea is worth one in one tw- no was it one in one twentieth i figured it was around like a nickel like a dollar in a nickel yeah somewhere between like a nickel and a quarter or something yeah um not that it really matters but... so like i guess in total like somewhere between 12 and 15 dollars <laughs> yeah which would probably go pretty far at that time yeah so the carriage ride down went almost too smoothly because <laughs> alan almost lost a shoe but found out she really had it the whole time <laughs> that's about the extent of excitement that went on in this trip <laughs> I, I laughed at this part because isn't this the part where um she's talking about the trip and how there was no chance for a hero to come in because no one was robbing their <laughs> their uh, caravan or I know. anything nothing happened so no heroes could come to the rescue exactly <laughs> So Catherine's bored, but when they get there, she gets to see everything, and then she's happy. It's so easy to make Catherine happy. <laughs> and then she goes on a little bit about Mrs. Allen, and is she a villain? And, like, she should be. I mean, this is the story of a heroine, so right. obviously she should be a villain. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile. But no, because really, um, she's not anything special, but she really loves clothes. It's basically her defining yes. characteristic. <laughs> So she had, they had to spend the first three or four days in town buying outfits, mostly for Mrs. Allen. But apparently Catherine bought herself some things, too. Yes. And a lot of the adaptations, they'll be like shopping and it's like Mrs. Allen is buying her all these clothes. But no, Mrs. Allen is buying herself clothes and Catherine and bought Catherine herself bought a couple herself. things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so finally, finally, they're going to go out on the town. They're going to the upper rooms. Catherine looks quite as she should do. <laughs> <laughs> so the ladies squeeze in. Mr. Allen goes straight to the card room. And Catherine's, like, clinging to Mrs. Allen as they try to squeeze their way through this packed-as-sardines room. <laughs> they finally get upstairs, and they still can't see a damn thing. <laughs> and then they have to squeeze some more to, like, this random corner or top floor or something. And uh, finally, they have an open view, and she can at least see the dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, finally. Yeah. And um, 
Mrs. Allen is just going on about, it's so sad we can't get you a partner. I so wish I knew someone here. <laughs> <laughs> so weird to think of that, like, based on, like, at least all the movies we've seen, like, the people who go to Bath seem to, like, everyone knows everyone. <laughs> and this one, she was like, I know two families. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Yep, so um, Catherine is, like, despairing because it's all feeling way awkward to her. <laughs> <laughs> They're forced to sit at this table with some, like, a whole group of strangers who mm-hmm. Catherine is afraid is eyeballing them the whole time. <laughs> and she's embarrassed, but Mrs. Allen's like, well, I'd rather sit. <laughs> it is <laughs> awkward, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I just don't. And I was like, I feel you, Mrs. Allen. <laughs> I, I can understand, like, the 17-year-old being like, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so embarrassed. And Subconscious. Then, and then the me, Mrs. Allen, would be like... I'm tired. <laughs> I don't really care what they think. I mean, yeah, sure, it's awkward, I get it, but don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't get over it. <laughs> My feet hurt. Um, so after a little while, someone offers them some tea, and it's, like, the only person they talk to the whole evening. <laughs> <laughs> and when people finally start to leave, she's, like, more visible. People can actually mm-hmm. see her. And she heard someone call her a pretty girl. And suddenly, the night wasn't a bust. <laughs> she was super happy with the whole evening. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time, she's, like, so. squeezing through. She can't see anything. She's feeling so awkward. But one boy says she looks pretty from across the room. And it's like, oh! Best night of my life. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the most 17-year-old thing to do. Yeah. All right, so chapter three. All right, so they're continuing on doing all the bad things, but they still couldn't find anyone they knew. When finally they go to the lower rooms, which seems to be where all the good stuff is happening. Um, yeah. And Catherine gets set up by the master of ceremonies to dance with a certain Mr. Tilney. And my suspicion is that Mr. Allen had a little talk with the master of ceremonies and was like, I got this girl. She really needs a dance partner because he's been listening to them complain about this. I think they even mention it in the book. I think so. So I was like, I bet Mr. Allen set up this. He was like, listen, (laughs) get her a partner. She needs it. Um, So he sets her up with a Mr. Tilney, who apparently is just at this dance by himself. He just, he's like, I just feel like dancing. I'm going to the lower rooms. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine is super pleased um and so i guess they dance and then um but we didn't see that the first dance but then they have tea afterwards right and they're chatting and um catherine really appreciates the fact that he's talking to her but she really does not understand what he's talking about (laughs) (laughs) and so then he's like oh you know what i've been remiss i there's this list of questions that it's only polite everyone has to ask everyone (laughs) (laughs) and he goes like way over the top sarcastic and he's like when did you arrive have you been to all the places have you enjoyed everything so far (laughs) and he's really over the top and funny about it and Catherine is just pleased to be talking to someone so she's laughing at him and he says i now i must give one smirk and now we may be rational again I'm like, I love you, Tilney. You're so funny. I was like, he gave me a good vibe. Yeah. To put it bluntly. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, oh, what I'm saying is going over your head. So let's just do this funny thing and I'll make you laugh. (laughs) (laughs) So then he starts teasing her about what she's going to write in her journal. Oh, yeah. That was cute. (laughs) And then he says what she should write, which is all very complimentary towards him. Right. And she's like, perhaps I don't keep a journal. (laughs) (laughs) I like how his reaction was, what? What do you mean? I can't believe that. No, no, no. <laughs> and then he um, he says, um, he knows that women are supposed to be the best letter writers. 
Mm-hmm. And that has to be because they journal all the time. So he knows that she's a journaling because all women journal. That's how they're so good at letter writing. And then Catherine's like, well, I don't know that women are that much better at letter writing. And he's like, oh, well, they only have three faults as far as I can see. <laughs> <laughs> Deficiency of subject, inattention to stops, and bad grammar. It's like, so, but they're better. So how are the men? Are they just awful at everything? <laughs> and Catherine's like, what? okay and he's like no 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 i think we're equally good and bad at letter writing it's uh fairly divided between the sexes <laughs> pretty much every- i think he says excellence is pretty fairly divided between the sexes and i think he's talking about just in general right when it comes to everything Everyone's so i think that's a really nice um progressive way to think about things yeah you know? <laughs> just thinking like it's almost like a weird roundabout way of being like everyone's just good at their own things and yeah. <laughs> everything is important yeah, because you wouldn't really want him to be like, oh, women are actually better at everything, because then he'll seem like too, like... Um, it just seemed kind of, like, fake. Yeah, fake. So then Mrs. Allen comes up, because she got a pin in her gown, <laughs> and she starts bonding with Mr. Dilney over his knowledge of fabrics, and she's super impressed and thinks he must be a great comfort to his sister. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what do you think of Catherine's dress? <laughs> <laughs> and he says it's very pretty but i don't think it will wash well <laughs> it's a muslin <laughs> and Catherine's like how can you be so and she doesn't say it but she's thinking strange so she thinks he's strange but she likes it <laughs> i was gonna say it's definitely a uh, a factor that she <laughs> will not find in a lot of guys <laughs> yeah. um i thought it was so funny how he just has this like deep knowledge of washing fabrics yeah <laughs> what i feel like good. he um even though he's clearly kind of just having fun with mrs allen a little bit because mm-hmm. you know he he's kind of like that in general i do think that he probably likes talking to her because he generally genuinely likes clothes and fashion oh, yeah. and so he's like that's fine i'll talk to the silly lady but at least we can talk about clothes <laughs> <laughs> so you can't talk to his like male friends about that because they'll be like what like, i don't care about muslin <laughs> he's like but why <laughs> but it's the most interesting subject okay so then they dance again oh Catherine does um have a moment where she is like maybe he's a little too um having fun with mrs allen but um like an uncharacteristically yeah. observant moment for Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> but um so they dance again and um they part happily and she says it can't be ascertained whether Catherine dreamed about him that night but the narrator is really hoping not because another author <laughs> once said that no young lady can be justified in falling in love before the gentleman's intentions are declared so, that part made me laugh yeah. so he should probably dream about her before she dreams about him <laughs> yeah she's like that's the rule like wink wink yeah eye roll. yeah exactly sharing this joke with me reader oh and at the very end of that chapter mr allen this is also why i think that he set it up in the first place mm-hmm. he does his duty as guardian and he inquires about henry and he finds out that he's a clergyman and that he's from a very respectable family so oh. he's not just you know colonel foster allowing lydia to do whatever the hell she wants <laughs> he's checking up and being like okay she danced with this guy twice and better check up make sure he's from a respectable family because we gotta put a nip nip that in the butt if not right it's almost like he actually like cares yeah he cares <laughs> about his church he like knows it's important yeah he's good chapter four okay this was a short one um so Catherine is like 
super pumped to go see Mr. Tilney the next day. Like, I'm going to go to the pump room and he's going to be there. <laughs> and he never shows up. But um, someone else shows up. Someone who knows Mrs. Allen. Mm-hmm. An old school friend named Mrs. Thorpe. <laughs> and they're very happy to see each other now after never having thought about each other over the last 15 years <laughs> uh, these two and uh they just kind of chatter on without listening to each other mrs thorpe talks about her children which gives her kind of the advantage um but uh mrs allen at some point realizes that she dresses better than her, so she's like, was like, well, it's okay. <laughs> the quality of her fabric is way less than mine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So then um, Mrs. Thorpe's daughters come up. Three of them linked arm in arm. <laughs> Isabella is the eldest and the handsomest. And is introduced to Catherine. And Isabella's like, Catherine Moreland? I know your brother, James Moreland. It's <laughs> <laughs> like small world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so Isabella and Catherine take a turn around the room. And by the end of it, they're like best friends. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're quick to be besties. Yeah. They're so happy that she almost forgot Mr. Tilney. Almost. <laughs> <sighs> In my mind, I was like, hey, we just move on from Mr. Tilney <laughs> and foster this friendship more. Yeah, well, we will for a while. Um, Isabella is four years older, so she can teach Isabella, or no, she, yeah, Isabella is four years older, so she can teach Catherine all the ways of the world, <laughs> having been in it longer. Um, and Catherine is just like totally smitten with Isabella and grateful to have a girl her own age to talk to. Right. <laughs> and, um, then the funniest one of the funniest little almost throwaway bits she the narrator is like mrs thorpe was a widow and she wasn't rich but i want to spare you having to listen to her talk about it so i'm just gonna sum it up for you she's a widow she's She's not not rich rich. (laughs) (laughs) so chapter five so they go to the theater and Catherine, of course, is looking for Mr. Tilney, but not finding him. He is gone. But she's sure the next day she really is going to <laughs> a church. And um, she goes to church, but he's still not there. But after church, she hangs out with Isabella and they gossip about the people at church. <laughs> and she's seriously on the hunt for Mr. Tilney. She's looking for him everywhere, but she can never find him. And the mystery is just making him even more desirable. <laughs> and her and isabella talk a lot about it (laughs) and isabella is like encouraging her Mm. and isabella's like oh i like that he's a clergyman (sighs) (laughs) and Catherine is like what (laughs) she doesn't get it isabella is like trying the whole time to get her to ask about who she has a crush on Mm -hmm. so she's just sighing anytime she mentions anything that has to do with a certain someone but Catherine it goes straight over her head and she's like and the narrator's like she doesn't know that she's supposed to know this so she doesn't know it exactly (laughs) i like the um the flip of how uh tenley is like mysterious and you know like has like has Catherine like smitten but like where'd he go like he's just kind of disappeared i feel like it's almost like a flip of the normal which is usually like the women is like oh yeah like the, the guy is like <laughs> yeah like the guy is like you know oh my god like this woman and where is she yeah. <laughs> she's so mysterious but probably a lot more realistic <laughs> yes this is way more yeah so then mrs allen is she's 
pretty pleased with Bath now that she found a friend, especially one not as fashionable as herself. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine and Isabella go, like, to BFF status super fast. Mm -hmm. And they do everything together, especially they love shutting themselves up on rainy days and reading novels together. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get a very famous um, moment in the book, which is Jane Austen just basically breaking in and doing, like, a treatise, treatise on novels. And she's saying, like, I will not, like so many other novel writers, degrade the very medium that they are themselves adding to. <laughs> and um, she's like, it's it sucks that they scarcely ever allow their own heroines to read novels, that their heroines usually turn up their noses at novels with disgust. And she's like, if a heroine from one novel can't feel sympathy for a heroine from another novel, then whose affection can she regard? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I agree. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And um, because at the time, apparently, I was just watching this PBS thing, but the lady was saying that um, authors would put in like the paper, these little things like, this is not an this is not your normal novel. This is a real work of art you know like they Mm -hmm. would like distancing themselves from the name of novel where she's like no you should be a novel and you should be proud of it (laughs) right (laughs) nothing wrong with being a book yeah she says let the reviewers diss novels let us authors not do it ourselves um she's like only a novel only some work in which the greatest powers of the mind are displayed (laughs) (laughs) and then she goes on for a bit about how boring the spectator is (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is like a paper. I looked it up. It seemed like it was like a collection of papers. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. Must have been boring. (laughs) (laughs) She said it. So our final chapter. The first sentence I wrote for this chapter. Jane Austen is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lie. Because she starts off by saying, In this chapter, I'm going to give you a little sketch of a typical example of Catherine and Isabella's conversation. So you can (laughs) judge whether this is a good friendship (laughs) so Catherine comes in and Isabella's like my dearest creature I've been waiting an age for you to arrive (laughs) and Catherine's like I thought it was on time and she's like no an age and a half so many ages (laughs) she's like I have so many things to tell you like I was afraid it was gonna rain this morning (laughs) and I wanted this bonnet I saw in the shop I'm like oh so many things to tell her I really love that whole conversation (laughs) just because like to me it almost came off as like um kind of like the sarcasm between like maybe some of my friends and me like girl like I've been waiting here for so like for hours and hours for years and it's been like 10 minutes yeah definitely except for I don't know that Isabella is as self-aware as that probably not maybe she is deep down we should give her the benefit of the doubt for now yeah I would like to think that that's what that was and it just went over Catherine's yeah, head again that could be Catherine just doesn't pick it up at all <laughs> yeah and then they they talk about Udolfo which is like besides Mr. Tillamy the only thing Catherine is thinking about she's into this book man is it the skeleton or not <laughs> no she just got to the black veil and she has to know what's behind it but I did read a little thing about that the uh-huh. black veil and Udolfo apparently when they get to the black veil she faints and then they don't come back and tell you what was behind that veil until the very end of the book i would have been so fucking pissed if i was reading that book at the time i hate it when authors do that 
<laughs> when they get right to the action and then they cut away and then it's like oh three chapters later i'll just have someone else kind of fill you in i'm like no no just tell it's no fun <laughs> <laughs> so but apparently it was like um some sort of grotesque wax figurine that looked like oh. a dead body but it wasn't really a dead body but still so just well, so you know i spoiled scary. udolfo for you <laughs> <laughs> it was a what do they call it like a, a horrid or whatever <laughs> yeah I hope it's horrid. Is it really so horrid? <laughs> yeah, next they're going to read the Italian. And she, um, Isabel has written a whole entire list of all these books they're going to read. <laughs> Apparently, they're all real books that were coming out at the time. Um, my favorite title was Necromancy of the Black Forest. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll read that one. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh, quite horrid. And then Isabel is like, says that she's. She scolds all the men for not admiring one of her friends. And then she goes on to call that friend insipid. <laughs> and Catherine is shocked. She's like, you scold men? <laughs> I just like those parts. Yeah. She was like, why not? <laughs> They're... They deserve it. <laughs> Favorite scene. Yeah. Um, Isabella flatters Catherine a bit and teases her about Tilney. And um, this is all showing how annoying <laughs> can be <laughs> she's um uh, hold on oh i, I autocorrect i'm heard right she's also sighing all over the place and trying to drop hints uh-huh. and Catherine is really not picking up on it but i wrote and also isabella is singing all over the place <laughs> i was like what the hell wrote that? no she's sighing yeah she's <laughs> well we haven't got to it yet so i won't spoil it so Catherine is um she's afraid she's never gonna see mr Tilney again. <laughs> at this point it's been like a week she hasn't seen hide nor hair of him but she says that as long as she has udolfo she's good <laughs> <laughs> i like this point of view yeah <laughs> um they talk about her mom's taste in books um isabella says she wants to dress just like Catherine because sometimes the men take notice of that sort of thing <laughs> And then she immediately says, but I don't care what they think. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. That's all. She, I feel like Isabella is only thinking about boys 100% of all the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even when she is with Catherine and talking about novels and stuff, it's still boys, 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 boys. boys. boys, boys. Um, uh, she asks Catherine what, what kind of guy she likes. <laughs> she's like, do you like sallow or dark? And she's like, mm, I think medium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of a brown. <laughs> kind of somewhere in the middle. And Isabella says she likes a sallow complexion. Hint, 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 hint. Like, Catherine does not ask her it. at all. <laughs> I feel like what's going through Catherine's head is like, why is she asking me all these questions? <laughs> why does she keep sighing? Is she tired? <laughs> <laughs> like, girl, wake up. And I'm just like, Isabella, just tell her. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> Don't beat around the bush. And then, final thing in the chapter, Isabella invents this drama. <laughs> Saying that there's two men staring at her. <laughs> and she's like, oh, we got to put them off and move to the front of the room. And so she moves to the front of the room and not looking at them at all by keeping Catherine watching. them. <laughs> she's like, are they following us? I can't look at them, but I need you to be looking at them. <laughs> and Catherine's like, um, no, they just left. <laughs> yeah, she's like, they're gone. And Isabel's like, oh, well, let's go look at my hat. <laughs> Catherine's <laughs> like, well, don't you want to wait until they're you know, like gone. gone. And Isabella's like, oh, I don't wouldn't pay them so much respect as to care if they're standing there. <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> and um, I wrote down the last sentence of this chapter because it's so funny. 
To show the independence of Miss Thorpe and her resolution of humbling the sex, they set off immediately as fast as they could walk in pursuit of the two young men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the narrator. I know. She's so great. <laughs> All right. First of all, the chapter about Catherine, the first chapter, Austin is is setting up Catherine against sort of the stereotypical heroines of the time period. So if you look at a lot of the novels that that either Catherine reads or sometimes Austin's referring to them sort of obliquely, uh, sort of hinting at them but not really getting not really mentioning them. A lot of those ha- those heroines are like they're too good, they're too angelic, they're too perfect, they're um, too smart, they're very unrealistic. And so that's really funny to me anyway that, that Catherine is clearly just a normal person. <laughs> she's just a normal girl. And Austin says she can't know anything before she's been taught. And but that's presented as some sort of defect, even though that's, you know, the way life is. Because that's what's funny about it, right? Is that it's normal, there's no reason for it to be a defect, and yet you would never normally find a, a literary heroine of the time who was a normal person. So I really appreciated that this time. And then I'm reading, the, the version that I'm reading is an annotated version, and so there are all these notes and things, and I thought it was kind of pretty funny that the quotations in chapter, it's either chapter one or chapter two, um, half of them are wrong. So there's like six quotations that supposedly Catherine was learning in order to become a heroine, but six of them are misquoted. So I thought that was funny. I assume it's on purpose, you know, that Catherine's like remembered it wrong uh, for whatever reason. So that was funny. And we got introduced to Catherine, to Mrs. Allen, to Henry Tilney, and the Thorpes. Well, some of the Thorpes, Isabella and her mom and her sisters. What's, what's interesting, I think, for me is, well, a couple of things. So there's a line in there about how is it that Mrs. Allen is going to ruin Catherine's life, right? By intercepting her letters or throwing her out of the house or something like that. I just thought that was an interesting one to to think about because Mrs. Allen is nothing like that. And yet there has to be conflict in the novel somewhere, right? So we'll have to see if what comes of that. And then Isabella, who, oh, she's such a flirt. Um, And she presents herself as as a heroine, which is also just really funny. So I don't don't really know. (laughs) I don't really know what else to say, but... Oh, and Henry Tilney, so he's hilarious. So he's a little bit of... You know, he's a little bit mm, very aware of his advantages over Catherine. I mean, he's, what, 25 and she's 17. So he's very aware of uh, how much he has as an advantage over her and sort of makes use of it a little bit too much. And Catherine actually sees that. She makes a comment or thinks to herself about how he's, what is it, a little too free with other people's foibles, which reminded me of Mr. Bennett and Lizzie in Pride and Prejudice, where they say, uh, what does Mr. Bennett say? Uh, what, what do we live for but to laugh at our neighbors and uh, be laughed at by them in return, something like that. So I think that Jane Austen seems to 
enjoy the humor of making fun of people's weaknesses, but she also recognizes that uh, there can be cruelty underneath that and you shouldn't indulge in it too much because Henry Tilling is really, he's funny and he's not wrong uh, in a lot of ways, um, but he shouldn't, uh, shouldn't take it too far. <laughs> shouldn't be cruel about it. So I appreciated that Catherine noticed that, but yeah, Henry Tilling's fun. Uh, it's kind of funny. And then the discussions of reading were, were fun. And, and of course they'll come up again. I actually read, so a lot of the, the Gothic novels that are referred to, uh, Anne Radcliffe's novels that Catherine and Isabella are reading. Um, I haven't read those, but I have read one of the original Gothic novels, which is The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole. And I don't recommend it, but it's, it's got all this stuff that like Catherine is totally in love with as a reader. Things like the, um, all the Gothic elements, the ghosts, the evil, um, there's like an evil prince who's preying upon a helpless young woman. There's like magic. There's, um, a crumbling ruin of a castle. So you like see all of that stuff just laid out. It's completely unrealistic, but I guess maybe when you're 17, you're not necessarily looking for realism in your fiction. So yeah, so those are my main thoughts um, for the first six chapters. It's fun to get back into Northanger Abbey. It's been a while since I, I read a book that made me laugh quite so much. I think that if, if the narrative voice of the first two chapters had been continued throughout the book, it would get a little tiring. But as a way to get you into the book, I just think it's a lot of fun. It's just so... The, the narrator is just so, I don't know, like she's winking at you over a joke that she knows you're going to get, but that all, everybody else, she's like, nobody else will get this joke, but just the two of us. Aren't we smart that we, we get the joke here, which is a lot of fun. That's all I can think of right now. Thanks guys for letting me read along with you. Uh, I look forward to finishing the book and hearing what you guys have to say. I will, oh, whatever. <laughs> Favorite moment? I didn't pick one. You didn't pick one? Yeah, but what's yours? Um, my favorite moment... Um, oh, we just talked. <laughs> I think it's the um, the conversation between Catherine and Isabella when... So my favorite moment was when um, they are talking about um, how Isabella scolds men. <laughs> and she's like, Catherine's like shocked out of her mind. She's, she's like, them. And Isabella's like, uh, yeah, they need it. Yeah. What yeah. else would I do with them? Catherine's like, they've always been pretty nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I can just imagine Isabella would be like, just wait till you meet more of them. Yeah. Well, I think my favorite little moment in this section was when uh, the narrator at the end of the fourth chapter is like, you don't really need to hear Mrs. Thorpe go on about herself. So I'm just going to sum it up. She's a widow. She's not rich. <laughs> We're going to cut all that crap yeah. out. And that about sums up why I love the narrator yes. so much. The narrator is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect because I did my deep dive on the narrator. Ooh, yeah. So I figured when would we ever get a chance to have such a great example of the narrator in Jane Austen as right. this first section. Now, she kind of drops out a little in the book. She's much more in this book than any of the other ones. Okay. So, okay. So, for the deep dive, the narrator. Now, I got 
every single bit of information for this deep dive from one source. And if I'm just <laughs> quoting it, I'm sorry, but I will give credit. It's um, an article by Henry Rogers called, Of course you can trust me! Exclamation point. Jane Austen's narrator in Northanger Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I got it from um, jasna.org. Okay, so Jane Austen uses the narrator in the novel to set up the audience. Um, Alan McKillop McKillop (laughs) noted that she interposed herself in Northanger Abbey as in no other of her works. Um, A persona adapted to various narrative functions and impressed upon the reader to guide the responses to herself and to the work she shapes. So, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So the role of the narrator is varied. She's a parodist a parodist of gothic and sentimental romance um, who creates and then defeats conventional fictional expectations. Um, She's got a witty satiric commentate. Oh, (laughs) I feel like I probably should have written this a little less (laughs) quotey. Yeah. She's a witty satiric commentator on all persons and things deserving of her scrutiny, which is, I think all of them. (laughs) She's also sometimes a straight narrative voice of reason. Even her soapbox moment defending novels is masterful. Her voice is consistent and cultivates a personal relationship with the reader. So she uses it a lot to distance us from Catherine Mm -hmm. so we can view her objectively, which is kind of like I was thinking, you know, when we were talking about Brecht and David Lynch, Uh you know, using different ways to do it. But in a certain way, it's also the same technique of like distancing you so you can objectively view her and not feel like i can't laugh at Catherine. i love her too much but you know that way you could still laugh at her yeah you can kind (laughs) of get like a down-to-earth moment be like all right (laughs) you're still 17 year old very naive girl um so she's using it so that we can laugh at her but at the same time pulling us into a closer relationship so she begins by assuming that we have a certain opinion of Catherine. Like, no one who had ever seen her in her infancy would have supposed her to be born a heroine. But she doesn't continue this because she trusts that we will be guided by her and acquiesce to her, the narrator's views. And that trust inspires confidence in the reader and is flattering that the narrator assumes our knowledge, perception, and intelligence. So, um, the narrator adds to the reader's inclusive experience of Northanger Abbey and so to its meanings as well. At the end of the novel, she even points out to us that even though Catherine is a more realistic heroine, she's still an invention and emphasizes her own limitations as storyteller and guide. So, you know, she even turns it on herself at the end. Right. And then she asks the reader to make up their own minds. I leave it to my reader's sagacity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She stresses the perception, judgment, and even creative power of the readers she has just deceived. Readers who will see in the telltale compression of the pages before them that we are all hastening together to perfect felicity. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I really love the narrative voice in this. Um, And I tried to sort it as best I could. Mm -hmm. Um, I got my information on this one from an article, Signs Who Are Always Up In Your Business, (laughs) ranked. (laughs) Also from that yourtango.com site that uh, one of our previous ones was from. So this one was actually really pretty low on the list, but I thought it sounded right. And that was Aquarius. 
Okay. It says, Aquarius couldn't care less about what you do as long as you give them your respect. <laughs> yes, Aquarius is a wonderful listener, but that doesn't quite mean that they're gunning to get, to get in your beeswax. Preferring to fight for social injustices rather than to talk about dirty linen, they always are respectful of your boundaries. When they are checking up on you in actuality, they are genuinely interested in getting to know you. Aquariuses like to sit back and observe their friends to relate better to them. It's important for them to gain greater understanding of what makes you tick. Aquarius loves puzzles and putting pieces together to paint a better picture of you as a person. They must always search for knowledge in every nook and cranny to really feel like they are connected to the world. It's almost a force of habit for them. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I felt... Because there were a lot that were more like in your business, but I didn't really feel like the narrator is in your business. I feel like she's really trying to get to know these characters and have you get to know yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like we're getting it together. Yeah. And then I have no idea for Harry Potter. I said Gryffindor, Slytherin, Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure not Hufflepuff. I, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, I would say, and not just because she's, you know, narrator of a book, but like I would say Ravenclaw. Because like yeah. I feel like, you know... The whole thing of like not being in your business but like analyzing things and, yeah because i feel, <laughs> I feel that like is true so they're in the gryffindor very and i almost nosy. feel like she has that kind of slight gossipy vibe that makes me think bit. gryffindor or even slytherin maybe i mean not bit. in a bad way like in a good way but i could see ravenclaw's being a little bit gossipy mostly yeah, about how you know other people aren't as smart or yeah <laughs> i feel like we always are putting people in ravenclaw <laughs> but, yes yeah let's go for ravenclaw so, so Aquarius Ravenclaw. It's a good mix. Yes. Okay, so for my recommendation for this week, I am going to pick Outlander. Ooh. It just came back on for its fifth season. Uh-huh. And I mean, I feel like a good long, fun, sci fi ish romance historical well it's got a little <laughs> bit of everything then yeah definitely watch outlander read the books they're great uh-huh. but this series is so great too it's um it's really perfect <laughs> <laughs> so i've heard so much about it i love it um it's on stars definitely a big recommend for me i love outlander it's so good <laughs> i i feel like i think even my mom started watching it and she was like <laughs> you need to watch this it's a show that you know I feel like you have to come to it in your own time. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like that's with everything. You yeah. Know, something strikes Whenever you, you're like, ready. today's the day. And yeah, but it's so good. Okay. Well, my recommendation today will be uh, the new uh, Jenny Lewis album, On the Line. Oh. Um, and I was not super familiar with Jenny Lewis. Like, just basically random songs that played on the like the xmu serious channel uh-huh. um but this album came out last year and it is so good <laughs> <laughs> i there's one song specifically that's my favorite i think it's called the red bull and hennessy oh. and it gives me like i feel like i've heard of that one very i don't want to get this wrong but i always get very like almost like 70s ish kind of vibe from it uh-huh it just sounds so good and if you like a disco kind of not even like disco or like it's, classic rock kind of but like not super rocky if that makes sense uh uh-huh. um i'll have to play it for you just so you can like hear yeah, it definitely listen to some of her stuff in the past like, yeah but it's like if you don't know jenny lewis she was you know child... was she in troop beverly hills yes she was okay. child actress <laughs> i love that movie <laughs> yes 
Cheap Beverly Hills, The Wizard. Um, oh, I love that movie Foxfire. too. Foxfire. I love that movie too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was like that. A lot of like, you know, stuff like that. She does some TV shows. Um, but then she started doing some music and mm-hmm. it's just, it's so good. This album is amazing. Add it to the playlist. <laughs> yes. I will have to play this at this point of recording. I did not have to play this done. You can put the soundtrack to Outlander on there, too, because yes. I love it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite soundtracks. <laughs> I will have it probably ready by tomorrow, because I don't have to work tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> so. good. Well, it'll definitely be out before this one's out. Yes. Um, okay. And, um, okay. So, I'll say next week we're doing Twin Peaks, episode one. Not the pilot. Yes. Episode one. To me, it should be episode two. I mean, no, oh, no, no, no. It is episode two. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot keep it straight in my head because, like I said, on the Twin Peaks episode, I had the weird box set, and it was just right. labeled 1 through 29, but it didn't include the pilot. Really? So I always think of episode two as episode one. So it's actually episode two. We're doing episode two. <laughs> Unless you happen to have the VHS, and then we're doing episode one. So, okay, so next week's going to be a Twin Peaks, episode yes. two. And then the week after that will be Northanger Abbey, chapters seven through nine. Seven through nine. So it's only three chapters. They're kind of longer chapters, so. <gasps> yes, <laughs> we got through our first book, and I think we did a pretty good job. I think so, too. It was yep. really fun. It was different, but good. <laughs> yeah, and, um, oh, if you want to contact us. Um, if you want to contact us, our Gmail is mannersandmadness at gmail.com. Instagram is at mannersandmadnesspod. Twitter is at Manners Madness, and our website is mannersofmadness.com. Yes, please. I know I say it every week. <laughs> every week I check in. There's no contact. <laughs> but please, read along with us. Let us know what you think. Watch Twin Peaks with us. We'll see if we can make any connections between the two as they're going yes. along. Um I mean, we definitely mentioned David Lynch a few times this yeah. episode, and I'm sure we'll mention Jane Austen in the next one. So um, we really want to just see how you guys are doing. Yes. Just... Twin Peaks is the perfect entryway to David Lynch if you're not familiar. And I feel like this book is a great first yeah. book for yeah. Jane Austen. I really enjoyed it for it being my first book yeah. for, from her. Because I didn't read Pride and Prejudice in high school. That wasn't on our reading list, which no. I felt was weird because yeah. most high schools did and it's great because this will be the first one that you get to read a book before you see any adaptation right yeah because we haven't done a movie or a tv show or anything yeah. so yeah it's it's perfect so y'all should start um and then also after you listen to the episode um leave us a review and give us five stars oh yes please it helps us get the podcast out there more and get more viewer uh, listeners not viewers <laughs> uh, and help us grow a lot so be really yeah. great if y'all did that yeah, because we want to spread the love of Jane Austen and David Lynch to everyone. Exactly. <laughs> everyone should love it as much as we do. Yes. <laughs> See, I've already converted Christian. <laughs> I can convert your friends too. Come on, share the podcast. <laughs> we already said Maya was the patron saint of Twin Peaks. So. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, that's it, I guess. Yeah. So join us next week for Twin Peaks, episode two. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. Yes. All right, see y'all later. Good night.